and we welcome you today to the Antioch campus of Blue Valley Baptist Church. And I'm going to begin our time together today with what might be, quite possibly, the worst lead-in for a message in the history of Christian preaching. Here it is. We are all going to die. The average person's heart will beat 3.3 billion times. The average person will take 672 million breaths, and then there will come a day when both of those things happen in our bodies for the very last time. That'll happen for all of us. I am 53 years old. If I live to be my Grandpa Lynch's age, I have 27 years left. If I live to be my Grandma McGinnis's age, I have 39 years left. If I live to be my great-grandpa Morris's age, I have 46 years left. Either way, I am far closer to the day of my dying than I am to the day of my birth. I am going to die. You are going to die. It is a fact. We all know this, but the reality and the finality of death is always shocking. Twice in the past year, I have been scrolling through my phone looking for a text message. They auto-delete every month, and I have come across a text message from someone whose funeral I had just done, and it took my breath away both times. Both times, I found myself thinking, they were just here, and then, just like that, they were gone. One day, we will all be gone. One day, we will all die. And here is what I have noticed over the years of ministry to dying church members. Knowing that it is coming is a gift. It gives the person dying time to make sure that they have said what needs to be said to family and to make certain that their lives are fixed certainly in Christ Jesus. It allows those who love the one dying to make certain that everything as that needs to be said has been said. In short, knowing that it is coming allows us to die well. So my purpose in sharing all of this with you as we start this morning is not to manipulate your emotions. I've been your pastor for 12 and a half years. That is not my bag. You know that is not how I do things. I say all of this in hopes that waking us up to the certainty of our death on a day that is hopefully years removed from it actually happening, happening will help us achieve the goal that we all should have of dying well. And we will do that today by looking at the words of a man for whom death was coming like a freight train. His name is Paul, and we find his words about his own death in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Why don't you find that in your copy of God's Word? In these verses... Near the conclusion of the final letter that we have any record of him having written to a young pastor named Timothy, we see him carrying on the thought that he began in verse 1, which Kevin shared with us last week. There he told Timothy that you, Timothy, have to be ready 
to carry on the ministry. You have to be ready to continue to proclaim the Word of Christ, to carry on the proclamation of the gospel. And in these verses, he makes it very clear why his words to Timothy in verses 1 through 5 is not just idle chatter or idle instruction. Paul says in our verses, I'm dying, Timothy. I'm in a Roman prison, and my execution is certain. So the flow of the logic of of chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 to where we are today, is this. Be prepared, Timothy, to carry on the task of preaching for, verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Now, now it it is pretty clear to all of us, even on the surface, what Paul is saying here, provided you know the context. He's saying, I don't have much longer, Timothy. I'm I'm about to die. I am dying. But there is a richness and there is a majesty to what he is saying that I want us to linger over here for just a bit this morning. So let's think about the phrase first, I am being poured out like a drink offering. What was a drink offering? For a person like Paul who had been raised in a Jewish religion, I think there's a tendency for us to think that all of the sacrifices that we find in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, which causes us to abandon our efforts to try to read the Bible through in the year, about February or so, that we think of all of those those sacrifices that we find there are for one purpose. They are there to make atonement for sin, but there were actually many different types of offerings for different kinds of purposes. There were obviously what is known as sin offerings, but there were also offerings known as consecration offerings. And the idea behind a consecration offering is to symbolize a commitment of complete surrender of self to God through the complete surrender of a sacrifice on the altar. You see, the sacrifices themselves, I think we lose sight of this, the sacrifices themselves were not always consumed completely by fire on the altar. In the case of sin offerings, the emphasis was more on the blood being poured out to make atonement for sin on the altar than it actually was uh, the carcass of the animal itself, which was disposed of actually in a variety of ways. In fact, some sacrifices were meant to actually be eaten as a communal meal, kind of like a barbecue, frankly, uh, taking the cooked meat off of the altar. But the sacrifice of consecration was different in its entirety because what a sacrifice of consecration did was symbolize the complete surrender of self through the complete consuming of the sacrifice on the altar. The the, the animal was reduced to ashes in its entirety. And a drink offering was a type of consecration offering. A prescribed amount of wine, in, in this case it could be anywhere from a little more than the modern equivalent of a bottle of wine to two and a half bottles of wine, was poured out completely on the altar as a symbol of a complete commitment to God. So you pour it out, and it's drip, 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 sizzle, sizzle, 
sizzle, a complete emptying of the drink offering to symbolize the completeness of one's surrender to God. So when Paul says he is being poured out like a drink offering, this is what he is saying. He is saying that I have committed myself completely to the purpose of God for my life, and the last drops of my life are being poured out on the altar as a symbol of my commitment completely to God. Now, the other interesting thing that Paul does here is use the word departure. And in the language that Paul is using, that's a word that calls to mind the breaking of camp or the lifting of an anchor. And then here, here's the thing, wait for it, a a breaking of camp, a lifting of anchor to head for home, to go home. So verse 6 is Paul's way of saying that I have spent my life, Timothy, completely in service of the God who saved me, and I'm about to head for home. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says this in verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And these words pick up the idea of completeness that has come to mind with the drink offering imagery. The three clauses of verse 7 actually build on one another to create meaning. So, for instance, when we see the words fight the good fight or I have fought the good fight, what Paul is, uh, is using there is the language of either an athletic contest or even a military contest. The idea being, I have struggled the struggle. I have expended myself totally, completely in this. And then the next phrase is, I have finished the race, which, which might not be helpful in, in, in us seeing everything that Paul is saying here. Listen, your, your English translations of God's Word are trustworthy. You're, you're living at a remarkable time in history where the trustworthiness of these translations is simply off the charts. But when, but when translators make choices, they can't bring everything in. They have to make a choice based on your and my readability. So, so they can't bring everything that is meant here, and here they had to leave off something that is very, very important. When Paul is saying, I finished the race, that is literally, in Paul's language, the course I have finished. The course I have finished, which adds a significant nuance, doesn't it? Because what Paul is then saying, I ran the course that has been set for me. The emphasis then is less on the race than it is the path of the race. I run about once a month a race, and I have found that it's important when you're on the the race course to pay attention to directions, especially if you're running like I did a few uh, weeks ago. I ran the Kansas City Half Marathon, and at a strategic point in that race, there's a person saying, this side, full marathon, 26.2 miles. <laughs> this side, 13.1 miles. And I want to go the 13.1 thing. That's what I want to do. And, and, and paying attention to those, those directions, paying attention to the course is important. And what Paul is saying here is that I have run the course 
that has been set for me by Christ. And then he finishes all of this up by saying, I have kept the faith. Now, it might be easy to read this and think that Paul is saying, I've just kept on believing in all of this. I have, I have kept on maintaining my final hope for deliverance in Christ Jesus. But in context, Paul's saying something else here. What Paul is saying is that he has remained faithful to the proclamation of the true faith, the gospel of Jesus. Remember, chapter 4 opens with Timothy being challenged to preach the word because some will abandon it. And in our verses, Timothy is being told that he needs to do this because Paul is about to die and it will be up to him to carry it on. So what Paul is saying here is, I did preach the word. I preached it in season and out of season. I did so with great struggle because that was the course that Christ charted for my life, and I've run the race to the end, never having compromised faith in Jesus. And then, verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, again, there are three pieces to this as well. It's something that you can see. The first is Paul's confidence of a crown of righteousness being laid up for him in heaven. What Paul does not mean here is that he is going to become righteous because he has struggled well. The idea being that because I've done everything that God has asked of me, I have earned my salvation. The word henceforth, not a word we use a lot, is translated in some of our translations as now or finally. And it means to carry the idea of continuation. In light of what has just been said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But it jumps past verse 7 back to verse 6. Because of my complete surrender to Jesus as my Savior, which has been seen in my absolute devotion with great struggle to run the grace that is set before me. Because of all of that, because Christ showed me His grace, and surrendered my life to him and received his forgiveness. Because of that, I have confidence that I will see him the second the executioner's blade falls. And he alone is capable of giving me that life because he himself is righteous. He is the righteous judge. And I will receive from him, because of the grace that he has shown me, his life. And I will see him face to face. And then he says, this isn't just because I've been a spiritual superhero. I'm not an evangelical avenger here. He's saying, he's saying 